book of Luke chapter 6. Andrea, can you come up here for a second? Man, my wife's a blessing. Um, I know, I know that y'all love her. So there's like a, there's like a 12 day window where I'm older than her. Oh, 15 day window in case you're counting. Sorry. And those, those 15 days are, are really important to her, but she had a birthday while we're gone. And so we're now back on level terms. And so, man, she and Miss June do a great job in the nursery. They're just, but they're, they're back there all the time, and uh, I love my wife. And so I thought it would be good to sing happy birthday to her since y'all didn't have a chance to while we were gone. So here we go. Happy It's a blessing. Thanks for the, thanks for letting me uh, just being gracious and all of that. Um, it's good stuff. All right, for our guest uh, tonight, we're in the book of Luke. We're working our way through. Um, we're working our way through the book of Luke on Sunday night, and uh, there we're dealing with uh, some. Uh, tonight we're dealing with some some church philosophy, and this isn't. This isn't necessarily the kind of message, and you hear me talk about these things frequently. It's not the kind of message that, that I think, man, it, people are just are going to want to have a lot of time to pray afterwards or something like that. I, the Lord will do whatever he wants. But I, I do have a desire that we understand this about the heart of, of Jesus Christ. So we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 6. Uh, before we get to that, I, Brother Adam was sharing with me that his message last Sunday morning was titled The Dangers of Deliverance. And he basically preached the same message that I did this morning. And so I just, I, I love this about the work of God, that he knows what we need and he knows how much of it we need. And there was, there was zero collaboration about that. You know, I don't, when I ask guys to preach or fill in or whatever the case is, Unless it's a really unique situation, I don't, I don't ask them to do anything. It's just like, you seek the Lord, you hear from God, you communicate his word to his people. I, I'm good with it. And so when you hear messages that overlap, apparently the way those two did, and I was told that they overlapped significantly, here's the, here's the response that it ought to be. Apparently, God, you really wanted us to get this. Amen. You just wanted us, you wanted to make sure that we get it. And, and so just have that attitude about those things. All right, so Luke chapter 6, verse number 1. And it came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and did eat, rubbing them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said unto them, Why do ye that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? Okay, Please get this. They were eating. They were eating. And Jesus answering them said, Have ye not read so much as this? This is in 2 Samuel. We'll reference it in a little bit. Or excuse me, 1 Samuel. What David did when himself was in hungered, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God. And he did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him which it is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. And he said unto them, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. He was crippled. He was limited. And all of the ramifications that would be a part of that limitation in those days his limitation in working and in providing for his family and without the presence of technology or a culture that at times has been very compassionate towards situations like that. He didn't have access to that. He, he has this physical limitation 
and he's in the house of God. He's in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him. Okay, this is what they mean. This is what it means by that. Not, let's learn from him. Have you ever observed someone for the purpose of learning from them? That's not what they're doing here. They're watching him for the purpose of, we're going to find out what he does here. We're going to catch this hypocrite. They watched him. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, and by the way, Jesus never ran from a battle. Rise and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. And Jesus said unto them, and this was brilliant. Hopefully I'll remember to use the word again. This, this question was absolutely brilliant. I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And they, they didn't know what to say because they knew how they were exposed here. And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And this is what's amazing. This is just another slap in their face. Jesus didn't actually do anything as far as moving his hands because he's God. And if you just obey him, what he wants to happen is going to happen. It's, this, is, this is pretty amazing. It's astounding. He stretches forth his hand, and his hand, in verse number 10, was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness. I want to make comments, but I need to go on. And commune one with another what they might do to Jesus. So I want you to, I want you to get this picture. A man has just been attending church. It's not the church, is the synagogue, but it was their place of assembly. A man has just been attending an assembly, and he has found help. He's found help. And you have the religious leaders, and this is their response. You're breaking the rules The, the title is, is just simple. It's this. The, and, and I just want to ask you to think about it. The purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath. They, we have intentionally recorded for us two accounts where Jesus and his disciples did a specific action on the Sabbath. And then in another occasion where someone was helped on the Sabbath and he was attacked for it. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being like the Pharisees more than we are like the Savior. There is a purpose for the Sabbath. Sometimes we get it confused. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing to honor God's word. Miss Jess is going to sing, and then we'll get to the preaching. It's just 
price was too great. My accusers had gathered, oh, could this be the day? I cried out to Jesus, and he came in my stead. He told my accusers, I've paid all this debt. Just if I had never sinned, just if I was always cleansed, just if I had never wandered so far from Patrick, it is okay to be happy about a song. It was, it was good this morning and then tonight. Man, it's just great, Miss Jess. You remember when you got saved? You need to be able to remember when you got saved. Not, I'm not asking you the date and the time. I'm just saying that you, you know you've trusted in Christ. You remember that? Man, you're justified. You're, you're right. You're right before God. It's amazing. I, I love it. I, and I love that account in the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? Jesus takes a woman who was set up and guilty. He exposes the guilt of her accusers and restores her into a wonderful relationship with him. So, so good. That's, uh, that's a blessing, Miss Jessica. Thank you. Thank you for it. And, and, you know, we have different styles of people who sing. You know, you have Miss Bev's style. She gets up here and plays the guitar and sounds like an angel and you have the Kane family, and I love, I love how manly those boys all sound together. You have the teens, and that's just wonderful. Patch and Pee Wee, I'm always excited about that. You have uh, Brother Nate has a very distinct style. We had that quartet um, a, a few weeks ago. You got our family and other families that sing. You have Miss Jess, and I want people to sing with passion. Don't be uncomfortable because someone is pouring themselves into a song. Don't get weird about that. What's she doing? She's excited about the truth she's singing about. Look, it can be taken too far. I understand that. But I want people to be passionate about what they sing about. I want them to believe in it. Okay, I'll give you a hug afterwards or meet you at the <laughs> altar or whatever. So it's a blessing, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, thankful, I'm thankful for that. Uh, so we have, uh, we have eight kids, and it's such an amazing day in our life. I, I can't tell you how precious this was. It's when we could leave our younger kids with Alex and go on a date. <laughs> it was, it was life-changing. It was amazing. I think Alex was five at the time. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so she was, and I, and I, and I remember, I remember the, the, the first time that we did that, and obviously she'll, she'll be 20 this fall, and she's starting her sophomore year in college, but Remember the first time we did it, just a little bit of, a little bit of anxiousness. But like, look, we're just going to, Walmart's like a, a minute and a half away. Here's my phone or mom's phone. We're just going to go. And these kids are doing this, and this is what we want you to do. And just slowly working, working her into that is just it's amazing. You go out, and you're like, hi, human. I love you. You're, man, it's I forgot what this was like to actually be. It's amazing. And then, and then as the kids get older, there, there starts to be this desire to have babysitting power. And some of you can't relate to this. Some of you can. Okay, mom and I are going out for a while. And we get this question, can I be in charge? <laughs> the fact that you're asking that question means no. 
And then, and then with, it, with it, different individuals, and I won't, I won't embarrass my kids any more than I am right now, it, but there will be ones who, who, there will be ones who you can tell they're just waiting for the moment when they have power. And it's like they've been keeping track of all of the things that their siblings did to them, and they're just so eager to be, I'm going to be the authority in this home it's, you know, it's entertaining, it's fun, we have a good time, we have a good time with it. But then, then I, I, remind, I remind, remind our kids when, they're in, when different ones are in charge, and as the kids have gotten older and they begin to get jobs and they have their license and they do their own things, and then older or younger ones get a little older and they're able to watch the kids, and now, and now we have two teen boys who do a great job. Jason and Jaden do a great job handling things at different times. Um, if Ashland's not around, and you know, it's, just, it's, it's great watching them grow. I'm thankful for that. But I have to remind my children when we're going to allow one of them to watch the younger ones for a couple of hours or whatever it is while we're out running errands or hanging out together, I have to remind them of this. You're not here representing yourself. No, no, no. I may, be, I may have told your younger siblings that they have to obey you, but you need to remember you're not here to accomplish your own agenda. You're here to represent me to them. And this isn't your opportunity to use the power that I've entrusted you with to manipulate and use on them. You are representing me to them. So I don't want to come back and find them in handcuffs. I don't want to come back and find them doing the chores that I told you to do. Because you're not, you're not in this position. You don't have this power to accomplish what it is that you want accomplished. You are here to represent me. Jesus in our text continues to face adversaries, specifically in the Pharisees. They were the religious establishment of the Jews. And, and they had significant political and social sway among the Jewish culture. And to a degree... They were even empowered by the Roman government because the Romans recognized that the Pharisees have control. And so they just wanted, to, the, the Roman government just wanted to keep the peace. And so in some cases, they would, they would back them up in certain ways. And so the, the Pharisees were a very powerful, and we, and, and we use this term loosely, but they were a very powerful religious leadership group. And they are relentless critics of Christ, and in spite of in spite of all the good that he's doing, he's healing people, he's saving people, he's bringing the truth of God's eternal kingdom into light so that it can be accessed by anyone who wants to have a relationship with him. In spite of all of the definitive proof that he gives that he is God, they reject him, they resist him, they spend literally spend many if not every waking moment trying to find a way to undermine him and prove that he's not who he says he is. If you don't believe that, look at verse number 11 of chapter 6. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. They, they lived, they focused the greatest passion and energy of their efforts not to ministering, not to teaching the truth of God. They spent it trying to undermine and tear down the work of Jesus Christ. Now one of their in particular, one of their great or chief passions was the, their self-appointed identity that they were the protectors of the Sabbath day. The Pharisees were crazy about their interpretation of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was originally given in the Mosaic Law, not before, but given in the Mosaic Law for the for the Hey, are you ready for the benefit of God's people? And, and we, don't, we don't observe the Sabbath for this reason. Jesus rose again on a Sunday, and we assemble on that day, on the day of the week that he rose again. But you've got to understand the mindset. Here's the mindset. The mindset is the same. The day isn't the same, but the mindset is the same. We devote six days a week to working and handling our business. It's good for us to have one day a week that we devote to God. The mindset is the same. And God appointed that, that mindset for the benefit of his people. Look, it's good for you to have a day 
where you're not consumed with busyness and labor and that you devote some of that day or the majority of that day, you devote it because it's the Lord's day, you devote it to focusing on the things of God. It was meant to be a time of refreshment, a time of worship, a time of service and sacrifice to God, prioritizing God. If if you want a statement about it, it's this. The Sabbath was given to help God's people focus on him. That's what it was. uh, on, On Sunday, you're focused on your business. On Monday, you're focused on your business. On Tuesday, you're focused on this thing. On Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, you're focused on this endeavor. Well, there needs to be a day where you pause and you remember, I have these opportunities, I have these abilities, I have these resources because of the goodness of God. And as they would go into the promised land and they would inherit so much of the blessing and the abundance of God, God wanted them to remember, you need to keep your focus on me. So the purpose of the Sabbath was to help God's people remain focused on God. I love what Brother Adam said. It is good to be in church. This isn't a chore. It's not a burden. You may feel like it's a burden, but it's a good thing to get to assemble together. And the purpose is to help us focus on God. Well, the Pharisees, as they did with so many other things, corrupted it. At the time that this text would have been recorded, that the Holy Ghost inspired Luke to record these events, there were thousands of writings devoted to the exhausting details that were contrived by this religious establishment for the stated, excuse me, purpose of protecting the Sabbath. In fact, there was one Pharisee who spent two years studying one chapter out of 24 that was devoted to the rules and regulations of the Sabbath. Let me give you a few examples of the insanity of what they did with the Sabbath. If, on the Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to travel more than 3,000 feet from your home. Sorry, nobody can come to church. But if you had placed, there was an exception because they're generous. If you had placed food at the 3,000th foot mark, then that 3,000 feet was considered home. And you could then travel another 3,000 feet beyond it. Cold water could be poured into hot water. But hot water could not be poured into cold water. You think I'm making this up, I'm not. Someone actually took the time to write this down. Bathing was forbidden, lest you spill the water on the floor and the floor get washed, and thereby you be guilty of laboring on the Sabbath. We actually have the opposite rule. You're required to take a bath before you come to West Valley. Yeah, I thought more people would say amen to that. Thank you, Brother Greg. Let me ask you a question. I just want you to think about it. Why does this insanity happen? Something that, and and remember the purpose, something that God intended to help his people focus on him. How does it become this oppressive system whereby people don't develop a flourishing relationship with God? They are suffocated. With rules and regulations. Come on, just think, how does that happen? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, we become full of ourselves. And look, this can happen with, re- re- again, I'm using the term loosely, with religious leaders. Just because you're in a position of spiritual influence or authority doesn't mean you're not susceptible to, to stupidity, to insanity, to thinking that you somehow have power over people's lives. No, I have a responsibility to fulfill certain obligations as a pastor, but I have no power over anybody's life. And whatever cooperation there is within the life of a church, it's not to be forced or coerced. It is to be given by people's willingly submitting to the design and the structure of God. 
There's nowhere in Scripture where God even remotely hints at or implies that a pastor is some kind of king or dictator who just gets to make declarations and people just bow to his every whim. That is not in Scripture. No, there is in Scripture that pastors ought to be respected. There is in Scripture that you ought to follow the spiritual authority that God has given. Paul said it to, Paul said it to people this way, follow me as I follow Christ. But the idea that I rule over a kingdom is completely foreign to New Testament Christianity. And that's what the Pharisees were making it. No, no. They wouldn't say it this way, but this is how they're acting. We are God over the Sabbath and how you use it. So Jesus proved that he's Lord of the Sabbath, that he's God through two interactions here. The first one from verse one down through verse number Six, he deals with being in the field. And then from verse number seven, or excuse me, verse number five, then verse number six down through verse number 11, he deals with the synagogue. So let's look at the field first. He and his disciples are walking through a field. Please stay with me. Think about the context. What are they going around doing? Someone say it. What are they going around doing? Before that, spreading the gospel. Are they healing people? Is Jesus healing people? Are they preaching? Okay, just think. They're in constant ministry mode. Jesus doesn't have unlimited hours. Jesus knows that the cross is just two or three years away at whatever point this came along. Jesus has a definitive timeline, and he's got to get some things done. And he has to deal with the people in a general sense, and he's trying to prepare the ones who are going to carry on his work after he leaves. And so every act, every moment is given to something deliberate whereby Jesus can accomplish that purpose. They are in constant Constant ministry mode. But just a, a, a basic question that you are aware of. Jesus, all God, in a all man, he has physical needs. The disciples, as men, they had physical needs. And one of those needs is what? Food. And I wish Taco Bell existed in the Bible. But it didn't. They actually had a law. It was written into the law because God is a generous God. That when you have a field, if your neighbors are hungry, they're able to go through the field and they're just able to take a little bit of the crop, just take it off of the top. Not harvest the crop, but actually just take a little bit of the crop. So they're walking through constant ministry mode. They need to eat. These men that God is training, God himself in, as a man needs to eat. And so they just take off a little bit of this corn And and they grain and they just begin to rub it in their hands. And as they rub it in their hands, they're separating the chaff uh, away from what they're going to eat. And so they get it separated and they walk through and they they just start munching on this. Look, I'm curious. I've had access to cornfields at different times. I've tried stuff like this. I don't know what it was about their product that made that desirable because it's never tasted good to me. But they needed sustenance. And And so they eat. And the Pharisees, and and this is what I love about Jesus, he didn't try to hide anything about himself. He didn't try to pretend to be something, to be one thing over here and another thing over here. Contrary to the Pharisees, what he did, he did in an observable way. And so the Pharisees know about this, they see it, and, and they challenge the disciples trying to attack Jesus through the ones that followed him. Why, why do you eat Why do you do that which is not lawful? You eat and you do this work on the Sabbath days. As though eating to survive is a violation. So Jesus reminds them of David, 1 Samuel 21. He's on the run from Saul. He's not honest with the priest in every way, but his imperfection aside, he's given permission as long as the men that are with him are ceremonially pure They're given permission to eat some of the priestly bread. To a degree, it violated the ceremonial law. But there's a point Jesus is making here that the need, the human need for food and the compassion that we ought to have towards people as children of God is more important than the regulations that you prioritize. So then Jesus demonstrates the vanity of this and the purpose of the Sabbath when he goes into the synagogue. They're in the synagogue on another Sabbath day, and there's a crippled man. 
Jesus looks at this group of self-proclaimed protectors of the Sabbath. He looks at this group and he sees this man who, we don't know, this is all speculation on my part, but he might have been like this for a long time. Maybe he was born this way. Have you ever seen someone that obviously needed help and you wanted to help but you couldn't? Do you, do you know what that's like? Jesus sees someone and knows he can help him. In fact, he knows he's the only one who can help him. And, and yet he sees these hypocrites standing there in, in all of their sanctimonious, religious arrogance. And he has this man stand up and walk in the middle of them. And then he asks them a brilliant question. Is it, what's lawful? Is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Is it, it look with me in verse number nine, to do good or to evil, to save life or to destroy it. Now, here, here was the brilliance of this question. If they say it's lawful to heal, then they would be validating Jesus' ministry. <laughs> look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be irreverent. I, I, Jesus is brilliant. He's God. But he knew how to ask the right questions. And so if they say, no, it's, it's the right thing to do would be to heal them, then you need to stop opposing me because you're opposing the work of God then if it's of God to heal. But if they, if they say, no, it's wrong and you should just let him suffer and be miserable, then you're revealing yourself to be a merciless, callous hypocrite that doesn't really care about people. And so he puts them in a position to where they either validate Jesus publicly or they have to verbally expose themselves to be the godless men that they are. And after he looks on them for a time and he stares at them, and I can't, I can't imagine the intensity of that eye contact. Here's a man that is in need of the help of God, and here are the self-proclaimed representatives of God who don't actually know God they're just using the law and the truth of God for their own advancement and enrichment and there's this man that so desperately needs God's help and Jesus said hey what's right is it to help this guy or to let him continue suffering and they won't they won't say a word no this was the Jews were known but the Jews were known to be racist bigoted people this isn't a Samaritan. This is one of their own. I'm not justifying that. I'm just trying to remind you of the, of the setting here. And in their arrogance and pride, they just... You know how it is when you ask somebody a question they can't answer? They're either just going to stiffen up or they're going to start yelling about something that's irrelevant. Which is why we can't have any helpful discourse today in our communities because people just want to scream and yell about everything instead of actually having a logical conversation. I've seen this a couple of times when I've been preaching. You think you're... And I, I love Jesus. I love the way he responds to this. Stretch forth your hand. This is what's so brilliant about him. He doesn't actually do anything <laughs> and at the same time he does something he's God he can do something without you seeing him do it all you can say is man something just happened there he says stretch forth his hand and as the guy stretches forth his hand Jesus makes him well but not in a way that you can see it you just see the evidence of him working it's amazing so <laughs> So brilliant. I love it that Jesus doesn't have to physically touch him to restore him. This, this is a, just a side note. I, I stand in awe of our Savior. He was willing to touch the leper, but he didn't have to touch the cripple to heal him. It's amazing. I hope as we go through this, you just learn to love how incredible our Savior is. He's so brilliant. He's so compassionate. He's so perfectly discerning. Now, as he does it, his hand is healed. And they lose their minds. Just, we're almost to the point. And then we'll make some application. But please, please think about this. Why did they lose their minds? Because one of their own 
that they proclaimed they cared about helping to know God was just helped in a life-altering way by God himself. And they're not celebrating it. They're angry over it. Why? The answer is not complicated. You know why? Because they really weren't concerned about helping people know God. They were concerned about maintaining their power over people. And this is what they did. They used a religious structure. Please get this. Please get this. They used a religious structure that God intended for good. The Sabbath was not bad. The Sabbath was not oppressive. The Old Testament is full of the grace and mercy of God. The structure that God put in place was not bad. You know what was bad? The abuse of those who were put in power. And they used a structure that was meant to help God's people focus on him. And this is what they did did with it. They used it to fetter God's people. To control them for their own devices. You know what the word fetter means? It has to do with an old way of imprisoning people. You take manacles, I think that's what they're called, shackles. You put them on people's feet so that they can't go anywhere. The Sabbath was never meant to oppress it was meant to be a source of refreshment. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Please stand on the same, just, just, just think with me. You know what it's like to have to fight the battle about what you're gonna prioritize on a Sunday. You know what it's like to have so many things weighing on you and calling for your attention. But when you make the decision to prioritize God, because like it was pointed out by our brother, God commands the assembly of his people. God commands the consistent, intentional assembly of his people. And when you do that, there are some other burdens that maybe you feel, but your life is refreshed when you give God the place that he deserves. No, the, the expectations of God, they, they, he does requ- have requirements, but they're not oppressive. They are liberating. No, yes, I get it. We can be tired. I get it. We have to say no to other things. I get it. There are challenges and things that we have to organize and work around. But when we prioritize God, our life doesn't get more complicated. It gets less complicated. When we prioritize God, we don't feel more burdened. We feel less burdened. When we prioritize God, we don't feel more frazzled. We feel less frazzled. And we have an energy that only comes from knowing him and walking with him and submitting to the things that he's put in place for our benefit. The assembly of God's people is not meant to be oppressive. Please get it. It's meant to be a help to you. But this is what they did with that tool, that beautiful tool that God gave. They shackled God's people. We're going to start adding rules and checklists and regulations And we're going to make it impossible to focus on God because you're too worried about pleasing us. That's a big statement. And we need to hear this and make sure our minds are wrapped around this the right way. They couldn't focus on God because they were too worried about the checklist. Here's what can happen. And religious trends today are what they have been back then. That we, be, we can become intoxicated with power and we can care more about processes than we do people. We care more about our checklists than we do helping people know the Christ that loves them. The Sabbath was meant to help people focus but the Pharisees used it to fetter them. Religious structure is and was, was and is, excuse me, necessary and of God. There has to be structure. There has to be submission and agreement on certain things. You can't have every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Look, we're not going to be the book of Judges. But neither am I commanded to lord over God's heritage. When you die, you're not going to answer to me at all. You don't give an account to me. And yet, this is what the Pharisees had done. They had created an environment where the people were more afraid of their assessment of them than they were concerned about God's assessment of them. 
what God, here's the statement, the tool that God gives to restore, we can use it to regulate. Let me give you some thoughts, and then I'll ask you some questions, and we'll be done. Number one, we have certain rules around West Valley, and I'm not sorry for that. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not trying to stir a fight. I just, I, in case you're wondering, I just I want to make you aware of a couple of things. Okay, number one, as long as we have the ability and we have life, men will use the men's bathroom and women will use the women's bathroom. I'm not, listen, don't, don't, don't get ridiculous about that. You, you, you don't have to, you don't necessarily have to worry about that. I have to think about that every day. Because there's coming a day when somebody's head's going to be up on a plate for that issue. And it's more than likely it's going to be mine. And I just want you to understand, people don't get to pick which bathroom they use. You know why? Because I'm interested in protecting these girls. And I'm interested in protecting these boys. You know what you call that? You call that a rule. You ready for another rule? This is fun, isn't it? I love this. This is exciting. Sit here and play with my cufflink while I tell you about all my rules. You ready for another rule? The nursery age goes up to two years old. It's a rule. It's a rule. We, we, I mean, there are different... Wait, I, do you remember the conversation we had about Ben and Jess and, and Tyrell and the unique situation and all that? And that's an opportunity for us to grow because not every baby is the same. Not every child is the same. And God creates some children with some special needs. By the way, I want to thank you for being the kind of church where I can go to a family that has a child that has some different challenges, and I can say to them with confidence, you don't ever need to feel pressure that when, when your child might be making a little more noise or something like that, because it's not a problem for us. So you know what? We have this, we have this rule, man, man, I agree, man, I'm excited about Wednesday nights when the kids have Patch and Pee Wee. And some of you are excited because you finally get another break. But your kids need to learn how to sit in church. And so on Sunday morning, we have a program. During the school year on Wednesday nights, we have a program. But it, on Wednesday nights. But on Sunday night, it's going to continue to be family night. And it's okay for your three-year-old and your four-year-old and your five-year-old to learn how to just sit here and be still. We are filled with generations of 17-year-olds and 25-year-olds who haven't been taught how to sit still and focus on anything, and our society is paying the price for that. And you're like, well, they don't get anything. Well, they're probably getting more than you know, and if all they get is to learn how to sit still, one day when they're five and six and seven, they're going to be sitting still, and the Spirit of God is going to convict them, and they're going to trust in Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. That's a rule. I don't ask for permission about that. It's a rule. You're like, well, sometimes I have to take my kid out. Fine, you're, you're their parent. You take them out. But that's, that's a rule here. It's good. Wait, are you ready? Man, you're enjoying this. This is so fun. You ready for another rule? If you're going to work, if you're going to work in ministry at this church, you have to have a background check. I've been on staff and had to do a background check. And, 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 you know, aren't you thankful for grace and people can be restored and saved out of all kinds of stuff? And I never have a problem with someone coming to me and say, hey, before I got saved or right with God, some things happened. And then, okay, fine, we'll deal with that. We'll cross that bridge when we need to. And I'm, I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful that a man like Saul can be saved and can become Paul and preach the gospel. I'm all good with the grace of God. But we have a responsibility to make sure this, is, this place is protected and our children aren't being fed to wolves in sheep's clothing. That's a rule keep going on with it we have leadership meetings and, and I lay out other rules not rules about coming not rules about being a part of but if you're going to be in the if you're going to be involved in the leadership of this church there are some expectations that you're going to have to buy into and in the people that are in those positions I make this statement I, not every one of these is clearly stated in the bible but there's either a principle or a logic behind it and I'm just asking you whether you agree fully with it unless I'm violating scripture then just buy in and be okay with it there are rules but those rules are not meant to control. You know what they're meant to do? To help people focus. Can I, can I just, can I ask for some transparency for just a moment? Does it help you moms 
after you got familiar with my wife, after you got familiar with June, and you realized that the nursery is filled with women who lead well and who can be trusted, does it help you to pay attention a little bit better in here? Can I get some ladies? I know y'all aren't used to that. You're allowed to say amen. It's okay. No, 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 hear me, hear me, you got to do this. Those rules that we have about things like that, it's not to oppress people. It's to help people focus. By the way, you know why we have a nursery for someone who's zero, one, and two? You know why? Because moms and dads need to be able to focus on the preaching. It's helpful. You know why we have a kid's church? So that they can hear a great sermon from Brother Z and his enthusiasm, and we can focus on a sermon from the Word of God here. And man, both ages from, and we have beginner's church and, and kid church, and we have all these things going on. Man, it's great. It's not to oppress. It's to help people focus. We do have rules. Not sorry for the rules. You get into leadership, you have, you have, more, you have more rules. But there's a difference, and please get this. There's a difference in having leadership requirements and not allowing people to have access to what they need. You notice, you notice if you come in here and you, you say, who are you talking about? I'm, I'm not talking about anyone. If you're a guest here, you gotta understand that this is how I preach all the time, and I just have uncomfortable conversations all the time with our church family so that we can stay on the same so that we can stay on the same page. I do not think that I'm better because I wear a suit. In fact, there've been a whole lot of reprobates that wore suits and held one of these. No. You come to you come to West Valley, if you become a part of West Valley, you will never see me with some kind of dress code checklist at the door. I'm talking to the ones who are here on a regular basis. And I understand, I understand that there are certain mindsets that we're raised with and there are certain things that are important to us. I get that. But we can use, we can use our passion for our personal passion for certain things in such a way that it becomes oppressive to the people of God. Look, I'm not, I understand that the culture's getting weird, and I understand, man, you see, you see all kinds of crazy things. I get that, and we're going to have to be prepared mentally for how to respond to those things. But if, there are people who need to know Jesus. They need to know Jesus. And I don't care as long as they have something on. If they can come here and hear the truth of God that will help their lives, there is a difference in having a rule for how we'll conduct ourselves as a leadership and as a church and having some kind of checklist before we even let people in the door. You say, yeah, we won't ever have a checklist. You're right, we won't have a checklist. But you know what happens? We eyeball people that look different than us. Um, I love this conversation with I, I love this conversation with guys when they're going to do stuff up here on the platform. It's I, I don't ask them to wear a suit. I'm like, if you want to do this, then would you would you wear a suit? And if you don't want to do it, or if you don't want to wear a suit, then that's okay. Just we'll find something else. There's a reason for that. There's a logical reason for that. You know what I never do to someone that's new or someone that's coming in or someone that's just trying to find their way? You know what I'd ever do? Why are you wearing that? And yet there are churches, you may not say it, but the way you look at people and the way you interact with people is saying a whole lot. Can I remind you of this? Your suit doesn't make, any, doesn't make you better than anybody. No, there is a reason I wear this. By the way... When I was at men and boys camp out, I preached. No, I really preached. And I didn't wear a suit. I was at youth camp. I was at youth camp one of the, in Washington. I preached. I didn't wear a tie all week. Oh, 
no, there, you can ask me, anybody, member, guest, somebody, you can ask me why I do things the way I do. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you why I'm doing But we can look at people, and there may never be a checklist that we go through with them, but the way that we interact with them speaks volumes to them. There, 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 there is truth that is here. There is a joy that is here. There is the love of God that is here. And we can make people feel oppressed. We can make people feel insignificant. We can make people feel targeted by our unwillingness to just interact with people because God loves them and cares about them. Please, number two or three, whatever this is, we do not measure spirituality by our external checklist. I, I, I'm really not trying to ruffle feathers. I, not trying to offend anybody I, at, at all. I, I, don't believe that, I, I don't believe that I have some of God's word. I have God's word. Amen. The God who died and spoke the world into existence, he didn't just preserve thoughts for me. I believe he preserved the Bible for me. His word, I have it. It's inspired, it's preserved. But I could care less what you read if it doesn't affect how you live. And this is what churches have become in our day. I wear this, I read this, I sing that, therefore I follow God. You know what you are? You're just like a Pharisee. You're a Pharisee. Because you know what they did? I read this, I wear this, I pray this many times, I fast, and I'm not like them. That was what they did. Your external checklist, I'm not saying they don't matter. What I'm saying is they're not the measure of spirituality. It's not the measure of spirituality. Well, that should lead us to a logical, it should lead us to a logical question. What is true spirituality? Thanks for asking. I'm glad you're curious tonight. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great, Brother Dennis, if Jesus actually gave us the definition? It'd be kind of cool. He did. And I just remembered it, not even because I looked at my notes. You ready? You ready? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what true spirituality is? Okay, I'm going to be weird. Just deal with it. You've been coming long enough. What's up, bro? So glad to see you. Man, I can do that because he's wearing a suit. Ew. These hands have never been defiled. No, I, okay, look, I've already done it. I love meeting people. <laughs> like, hey, human. Hey. Okay, no, you don't have to shake my hand right now. It's fine. No, you say, what are you, what are you doing? Like, hey, I don't know you. Okay, don't do it like that. That's a little too weird. How are you? I'm doing Great. Hey, do you need somebody to sit with you? You look lonely. Let me sit yeah. by you. Okay, don't put your hand around them. That's bad for a guest. Don't do that. No, just, just stay with me. You know, what, you know what true spirituality is? You ready? God loves you and died for you. So I should love you and care about you. That's what true that's what true spirituality is. No, I'm not saying the other things don't matter. They have a place, but the purpose is never to oppress people. It's to help people focus on the God who loves them so that they can know his truth and the truth of his love for them. Two more things. Conformity to regulation is not the same as, trans it's not the same as internal transformation. <laughs> it was such a... It was, such an amazing picture of what happened to this guy. <laughs> His life was changed. Do you get it? <laughs> this guy, some of you might know what this is like. You, you have a physical limitation and 
and, and it prevents you from doing certain things for the people you love or with the people you love. And this man's been limited for a long time and, and maybe even not appreciated for a long time. And then one interaction with Jesus and he, he changes his life. That's what he does. You know what we, what we estimate to be life-changing? It's when people start checking off our rules. We become, we become a church full of checklists. Oh, it's obvious Jesus changed your life. How? How is it obvious? Well, because of this and this and this and this. No, I'm thankful for external, I'm, I'm thankful for the changes and, and people being on board with whatever it is that we're doing or how we do it. But please get this. You can look like this on a Sunday and live like the devil the rest of the time. I'm not interested in external transformation. I'm interested. No, let me rephrase that. I'm not interested in external regulation. I am interested in internal transformation that changes people's lives. You know what happens when someone gets changed in here? They get changed everywhere. Last, last thing, reach out to people based on God's love for them and, their des- and his desire to save them and change them. Look, if you, if you are in a position of leadership where you submit to, this is a great question. I had someone ask me this question one time. They're, they're in a significant position of leadership, a husband and a wife. And, and they asked me, we were just having some philosophical discussion. And they said, are there things that you have a personal conviction about them that you, that you draw lines on? And, there, and then are there things that you do or don't do because of the position that you're in? Just in order to be as effective as you can with other people. Absolutely. And I ask other people to do that. Like, hey, if you're going to do this, I, we're trying to accomplish this. We're trying to avoid this. So let, I just need you to submit to this. It's okay if you, if you wouldn't land in the same place with me, but I, but I need you to be on board this way. And, and here's why, and, and we're honest about it. Man, it's great when you can be honest with your pastor. It's great when your pastor isn't, isn't threatening you, telling you, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, and obviously don't love the Lord and not following God. No, there are some things that are very clearly stated, and some things there are principles, and some things you just have to say, okay, God put him in charge, and unless the Bible is being violated, we just need to trust that, trust the Lord and follow him. Isn't it good to be able to have those kind of conversations? It is good. And it's also good for me as a pastor to not have to go around saying, I know this. No, I'm honest with you when I don't know something. And like I have to give an account for how I lead this church to the Lord. And so I'm going to be honest. This is what I think and this is why I think it. And, and, and I just have to leave it to you to evaluate it how you're going to evaluate it. I'm thankful for the freedom that comes in that. Can we work at this? And you do. You do. Just let's keep working at it. We don't minister to people based on where they fit in into what we're comfortable with. We minister to people based on their need for him and his love for them. You, okay. I'm going to be ridiculous here. Please don't test this. <laughs> Please don't test it. Especially you that know better. You, do you remember those ridiculous commercials, the Snuggies? Okay, those things are ridiculous. It's called a blanket. Wrap up in it. Go take a nap. Whatever. And like people camping with it and shopping with it. And look... If someone came in and they'd have and they had a snuggie on, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to worship God and I'm going to preach the Bible and I'm going to do the same thing that I do with everyone who's not wearing a snuggie. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say hi. My name's Jonathan. What's your name? Thanks for being here today. It's an honor to have you with us. Now, I may not let them go watch the nursery. No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. I'm not letting them. And neither is June 
or Ann. No, they're not, and neither is anybody on the safety team. <laughs> but you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you don't meet this requirement and this requirement and this requirement. Because I'm going to remember this. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. And you're at a place where you can get helped. So I'm not going to use a tool that God meant to help you as a means to regulate and oppress you. I'm just going to give you Jesus and let him change your life. And he can. He can. Okay, look, I know you don't, I know you don't walk around with the checklist. But you can eyeball people that way. You're not spiritual because of what you do here and here. You're spiritual because you genuinely love him and you love people. I did not say these things don't matter because they do very much. But if Jesus said the fulfillment of the law was to love him and to love them. So measure your own spirituality the right way. And, and don't, don't, Let's work at not gauging people. And somebody, you don't know anything about the people that come in here. You don't know anything about, you don't know how hard their day's been. You don't know what kind of appointment they just had with a doctor. You don't know what kind of chaos they're dealing with at home. You don't know what kind of, what kind of demons they're fighting in their own mind. You, you don't know what's going on. Stop gauging them based on externals and say, man, this is a human being that Jesus Christ died for and they have a chance to hear truth that can change their life. I'm gonna go sit by them and be a friend to them. I just, I know, I know you hear this a lot. I, this has to be, this needs to be an essential part of who we are as a church. I'm not interested I'm not interested in having a club where everybody meets the requirements and they get to be a part of. I want to be a church that, where Jesus changes people's lives. So you know what we have to do? We have to give people access to it. So measure yourself the right way and make sure that you're investing in people the right way. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Here are the two questions. I just... I just stated them. Number one, question number one, do you measure yourself the right way? Do you measure yourself the right way? What, what do you mean the right way? Do you measure yourself, do you measure yourself, your spirituality by the standard that Jesus gave? I love God and I love people. Well, these positions matter and I agree they do matter and I preach on them. I preach about the philosophy behind them. I preach about the biblical principles or the commands that dictate them. But spirituality is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You know what's possible? It's possible that you measure your spirituality based on the fact that you come to church consistently. And yet it does nothing to affect how you respond to your kids on Tuesday or how you respond to a situation at work on Thursday. Measure your spirituality the right way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder, would there be anyone who would say, sometimes I fall into the trap of estimating my spirituality based on external checklists rather than the fact that I love God and I demonstrably love people and I measure myself the wrong way and I need God's help to get that in balance. You raise your hand. Thank you for being honest. Yep, I see him. I see him. Here's the a, here's a second question. Stop gauging people. Invest in people. Do you, do you just invest in people because Christ loves them? Or do you gauge them? Do you spend more time talking about them than you do talking to them? When's the last time you, you, you met someone at, at, at church? Let's just talk about church. That you met someone at church that you didn't know and said, hey, I'm really glad that you're here. Do you have someone to sit with? Don't gauge people, invest in people. Just be honest, every head bowed, every eye closed. Would there be anyone who would say, man, I struggle with that pastor sometimes. I have a tendency to gauge rather, to, rather than to invest, and I need God's help with that. Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I see him. I see him going up. Thank you. Praise the Lord for your honesty. 
So can we respond to him tonight? God didn't make the Sabbath for us to manipulate people. God made the Sabbath for people to know him. So can we just be honest tonight and respond to the Lord? Say, God, help us, number one, to measure our spirituality the right way. And number two, God, would you help us? Would you help us not to gauge people? Help us to invest in people and allow you to change their life. Father, thank you for your word. I'm, I pray that you use it to help us be the kind of church and the kind of people that you want us to be. God, I, I believe certain things very strongly. I have so many strong opinions. And you, God, my, my opinions in eternity don't matter. What matters is that people know you. So, Lord, help me not to measure my spirituality by certain checklists or markers that we have elevated. Help me to measure my spirituality by my love of you and my love for people. And then, God, help me not to gauge people as a Christian, as a pastor. Help me just to care about people. Would you let us be a church? God, I'm asking you, please, would you let us be a church where people's lives are helped and changed regularly? Thank you that you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Nate's going to begin to sing. As Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, respond to him. If you raised your hand and said, yeah, I'm struggling in some of these areas, then respond to him. Don't wait. Brother Nate, you sing.